This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing two spells. With the careful gaze of the Grigori, we talk about the gray sun. And then, with a distant light pierces the mist, we discuss Plato's allegory of the cave and theory of forms. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. With the careful gaze of the Grigori, we talk about an aspect of invisible sun in detail. This time we're talking about the gray sun, the fifth sun. So we're back to walking on the path of suns. We take a break and we talk about other things. I believe we've been talking about orders. Perhaps it was the Goetics last time. Um, so now we're going to talk about a sun that is probably near and dear to all of our hearts. Because in the fiction of Invisible Sun... The gray sun is the world that we currently live in. So, hey, how's the gray sun? How's it doing for you, Scott? We are currently broadcasting from the gray sun. Yeah. Oh, man, that would probably be a good idea for a podcast, right? <laughs> Maybe. Well, I think we've already got one going, so don't think we're switching yet. Radio free gray sun? Yeah, radio free gray, radio free gray sun. That sounds good. Well, once, once we're out of topics, then we can switch over to uh, more of a uh, lore-based podcast where we can, you know, make up stories and you can add them to your Invisible Sun campaigns. Or if anyone wants to start a, a, a spin-off podcast, we've got a title for you already. Yeah. Hey, it's the Gray Sun. There's there's not much to talk about. I mean, it's it's where we live. We're all familiar with it. Like, this is, this is where we are right now. Uh, we'll try and keep this light and... Uh, and fun. So the there are, there are a few things about the gray sun that make it a little bit more interesting than what our actual real world is. Uh, so the gray sun uh, is often referred to as shadow. So the Vizlay fled to shadow, or you get pulled back to shadow. These are things that are going to come up in the Kickstarter articles when you read through them. Um, and it's called shadow because... The gray sun is simply the shadow of the actuality, and it's mostly the shadow of the realm of indigo. Uh, so that's it's probably because that is from where uh, indigo is where all of the the Vizlay fled from. They they fled uh, the actuality to gray, and they went into hiding there during the war. So it, it kind of makes sense that they are fleeing from uh, the real world to a place that is going to be similar, but a twisted version where they're going to hide during this war and whatever that war, uh, whatever the war was. Uh, what we know about the war is that it was ripping apart Saturine uh, with hate-powered weapons and that the Vizlay were involved and it was destroying the actuality and that the Vizlay you know, took off and they took refuge in gray. Tell me, Scott, do you think that 
everybody that's in gray is a Vizlay. I don't believe they all are. I bet we are surrounded in uh, in part by those who are, who are not Vizlay and couldn't possibly be spellcasters. They're just shadow beings of some kind. At least that's what I think whenever I don't take my meds. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, good thing. Don't take your meds because that's true. Um, not all of the you know beings in gray are Vizlay. Uh, many of the the beings that live in shadow are shadows themselves. Uh, they they were created there and they exist there. Uh, however, some of them have figured out how to leave the gray realm and get into the actuality. And we're going to touch on them in just a little bit because there are some interesting implications uh, gameplay wise that come in with these shadow creatures who have gotten out of the gray sun. So the where invisible sun is picking up is the war has concluded. It's, it's over. Saturine is in ruins, but it's rebuilding. And Vizlay are returning from Shadow back to the actuality. Um, so the, the player characters are going to be, you know, picking up as a Vizlay who has returned from Grey and has been back in Indigo for some time. However, not all of the Vizlay have gotten back. And there, there are still Vizlay who are lost in Grey. Uh, who are lost in shadow and don't know how to get out and don't even know that they can get out. So this this really feels to me like the Matrix. Like when you're in the Matrix, you don't know any better. Everything is how it's supposed to be. And it's a prison. And there are only a few people who know how to get out of this prison and get to the actual real world. It is also similar to uh, the Grant Morrison series, The Invisibles which was mentioned as one of the inspirations. In fact, I believe Morrison sued or somehow threatened the producers of The Matrix because The Matrix was eerily similar to the structure of the early uh, volume of The Invisibles. Yeah, I, I didn't read The Invisibles. Uh, that was one of the Vertigo comics that I did not pick up. It's not my favorite, which might be one of the reasons we haven't gone over it here yet. Because <laughs> there's other stuff I would rather read. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've been continuing to read The Sandman, and that series is, it really holds up. It is still really good. Uh, so, uh, referring to Grey as a prison uh, means that you're going to have a jailer of sorts. Uh, and it turns out there is one. There is a warden of Grey uh, who goes by the name Demiurge. Though there might not be. It might just be a myth. And there isn't a warden, and uh, there isn't one that actually exists. For a long time, there was this myth that suggested there was uh, a warden of the Grey Realm uh, who was referred to as Demiurge. It wasn't really believed um, that it was a real being, uh, though now that the Vizlay have fled to Grey and some of them are getting lost there, it, it seems like there may be some sort of uh, force that is keeping the Vizlay there. Uh, and... There is evidence mounting that there is something that is both God and devil of the gray realm. And that is what uh, is referred to as Demiurge. So there is a theory that suggests that the, uh, the lie of Demiurge manifested into something that became true. Or perhaps Demiurge has just always been there. Uh, and in my, my brief bit of research into what Demiurge actually is, is this is something that comes from 
mythology and Demiurge is the maker or creator of the world, which is interesting because that would be something that has always been there. Yeah, it is most commonly associated with Gnostic uh, religious beliefs and the notion that the world we live in is uh, flawed and fallen and incomplete. And thus, it cannot be a reflection of divine perfection. So if we live in a fallen world, there must have been something between it, uh, our world and perfection. Uh, and that thing is personified as the demiurge. It's related to uh, a philosophical belief that our perceptions, our senses are unreliable, and that our ability to understand perfection is limited by our own mortality and our own, lim- our own imperfections. So this has tremendous religious implications and philosophical implications going back uh, millennia, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, and being brought into Invisible Sun as an an aspect regulating the relationship between the Indigo Sun and uh, the Gray Sun. Here there may or may not be a personification of that transition from the perfection uh, or at least the idealization of the Indigo Sun and its shadowed reflection in the uh, Gray Sun. So it could be possible that Demiurge is just the shadow of Quis, who is the Warden of Indigo. That seems possible. It might be that there is no Demiurge and that the, in some sense the real Demiurge is simply the limitations of our gray sun sensory instruments that, that, that trick us into believing that this world is the only world. So one thing to note about the, the gray realm, the gray sun, uh, this is not going to be the focus of your campaign. This is not, well, it's not going to be the focus of play. At least that's the, I believe what's been suggested. I believe they've come out and said that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, yeah. You're not going to start. You're typically not going to start in the gray sun and tell the story of your Vizlay getting found in the gray sun and getting their way out back to the actuality. That definitely could be told, uh, and that is something that I am telling in the lead-up to the campaign with my players, but it's not something that's, you know, that I have any rules for. It's just something we're kind of, you know, narrating as we go. That sounds more like other games that already exist, which may be one reason why they're trying to make something different with Invisible Sun. Mm-hmm. Like the White Wolf game uh, story in the Torius Storyteller system, the Mage the Ascension, has a bit of that feel that you uh, play mages who come become awakened or, yeah, awakened, I guess, Mage the Awakening. Anyway, there's two versions. I don't know exactly the differences between them, but at least one of them is called Mage the Awakening. And you become awakened to the notion that this world is, is only a limited version of all of reality and that it's it's hackable, to use a, a modern idiom. Uh, and so magic is just ways that we can pull into and use other forces from other worlds to manipulate this world. So Mage, uh, the Awakening, is really about someone aware of other worlds using that knowledge to live in ours. Whereas Invisible Sun seems to be more about someone who has been living in our world who has left it and is now more permanently uh, or at least for most of the time living in this magical other realm where Mm -hmm. the limitations of the world are uh, reduced and magic flows more naturally. Right. And and I think we'll talk a little bit about um, how you might be able to pull Gray into your game. But we do have uh, some gameplay hints as to how Gray is going to you know, interact with the rest of the game. 
And uh, so we know that all the Vizlay spent time in shadow. And when they get back into the actuality, they're all going to be coming back with uh, souvenirs of sorts from the shadow and from the time that they spent there. And there are going to be two things that they bring back. There's going to bring a, they're, they're going to bring a memento back. And they're also going to have uh, a shadow skill that they're going to come back in with. So the, the, mem- the memento is going to be something that was important to them in their life in shadow. So some of the examples were like, oh, it could be a coffee maker or, you know, a television or a cell phone or a book of sorts. Or um, a spinning top. <laughs> or a spinning top that doesn't stop spinning now that it's in the actuality, right? Something like that. Well, <laughs> uh, that's a different podcast. <laughs> Um, so the, those items that come back from shadow are looked upon as sort of goofy trinkets in the actuality, from what I recall. Um, so yeah, they're going to bring back a memento that is something of significance to them, uh, when they were in the shadow. Uh, another thing that they're going to have is a shadow skill, and this is going to be something that your character had been good at when they were in the shadow so let's say your character was oh i don't know uh, a computer programmer maybe they're going to have a you know a hacking skill which isn't going to do you any good in the actuality because i have a feeling there won't be computers there but it could be something like oh maybe he was a, a radio host so your character might have a shadow skill that will help them interact with other NPCs in the game. Let's add surreal computers to the list. Surreal computers. I'm trying to think of what surreal computers might be. Uh, so in addition to uh, mementos and skills, we also have this other thing called shadow characters. And these are going to be playable characters that you can drop into your campaign. Uh, and when I was initially reading this, it sounded like the pitch was a shadow character is going to be one of these shadow beings that has escaped from gray and has made it to the actuality. And it's going to be a simple character that can be played in the invisible sun game. And it's really quick to make. So when I was reading this to me, it read as a good character to give to somebody who is curious about what invisible sun is and wants to hop in and give it a shot. And I've had players every once in a while who want to try a game out so this this seems like the ideal way to do it um i was thinking this might be another way to you know do a one shot for invisible sun but i mean the the shadow character is somebody who doesn't have any qualia so they're not going to be able to use magic so they won't have access to sorcery and sortilage or anything like that and i think that might be where the appeal of invisible sun is so if you're going to try and sell players on invisible sun you might want to do it with characters who are fully fleshed out and have abilities instead of somebody who is much simpler in comparison yeah i can see the motivation for wanting to have an option for simpler characters especially for transition or for for one shot testing purposes but it does seem odd that uh when you know if if Describe a different way of, in order to test out the system, make the least interesting character possible. Well, uh, they did have other suggestions for uses for shadow characters. Uh, they, they can be summoned. So one suggestion was, hey, you could have somebody who makes uh, a Vizlay and then also makes a, sh- a shadow character and they could work together. Uh, you could have a group of Vizlay and then you could have one player who's you know good at multitasking put together 
a whole group of shadow characters and then just run all of them. So it sounds like there there's something you you could use in a full campaign in a in a game of Invisible Sun and they could be fun. But aside from those those use cases, I think I I think this would be something I would, you know, probably steer away from. Yeah, I, it's not an aspect that excites me. And I'm, uh, if I were a betting man, uh, 50-50 suggests there's not much development to this when the game actually comes out. This will not be where they invest their development time. No, I don't think so. And I don't think that's the, the goal here. I think it's just to have a, an option to give to somebody who's a little bit intimidated by uh, how, how large a task to uh, create a character might be. Uh, so... <clears throat> The, the Grey Sun is a whole realm of its own. It's on the Path of Suns. It's a place that your characters could go. So how, how would you want to use the Grey Sun in your game? Do you have any ideas or do you want me to throw a couple out? Um, I, I have been trying not to think too much about the Grey Sun because I'm afraid that with previous games I've played, I'll get pulled into a trap of writing a Mage the Awakening game. Uh, that or the ascension whichever one uh, that is that is played with the invisible sun system and so i'm trying to think in in uh indigo sun terms rather than gray sun terms so i would love to hear uh some suggestions uh taking it from that sort of tack how about uh you might have some influence from the gray sun because hey what if artifacts are showing up in saturine in the pawn shops that are from gray uh, from the gray sun itself like hey what are these artifacts doing why why are they showing up without Vizlay, you know bringing them back from shadow uh, so that might be a hook that you could set your characters up with um, another thing might be hey what if you have a smartphone that your character brought back from shadow and it starts picking up voices um, that are not from uh, the 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 gray sun itself. Uh, maybe this is somebody who's trying to reach out to the Vizlay, the the character, and the way they do it is through this smartphone that they brought up. What can you pick up? I, I can think of some uh, stories that could use the uh, gray sun, but I'm I'm going to save one of my ideas for the next segment. Uh, another idea I had was uh, one of the one of the things that happens with the the gray sun is that characters who well players who are unable to make it to an in person session. Uh, you can remove their character from the game and say, hey, they got pulled back to shadow. Uh, and that is one way to conveniently write them out of the story at that point. Uh, so going along with that, I thought to myself, hey, wouldn't it be kind of interesting if you had a player who has gotten pulled back to shadow, you know, a few times, uh, a few more times than normal. Like it happens, you know, around the holidays, our group just sort of splinters for a few months. Um and going off of that, I thought, hey, wouldn't it be interesting if there was a reason in game that they kept getting pulled back into shadow so frequently and you could have your characters, you know, follow up that and say like, hey, why is this actually happening so much? But, you know, there, those are a couple ideas. Uh, I had some other ideas about like actually going back into gray, but I kind of want to avoid going into gray personally because I hate running modern settings. And going into gray feels like that's what I would be doing. Yeah, I, I like modern settings, but I like modern settings for other games. So I want my Invisible Sun to be Invisible Sun and my Delta Green to be Delta Green. And I don't need my Invisible Sun to be Delta Green or Mage the Ascension or, or anything like that. Yeah, 
And I want to stay as far away from modern stuff as possible. So uh, with that, uh, why don't we wrap it up here and we can move on to our next segment. With a distant light pierces the mist, we discuss inspirations for Invisible Sun games. In today's segment, we discuss Plato's allegory of the cave and the theory of forms. This inspiration is a bit different from some of the segments we've talked about before. Um, here, I'm reacting somewhat directly to our discussion of the indigo sun and the gray sun and uh, some of, of the uh, philosophy that I was reminded of in the discussion of those suns. I thought it would be fun to talk about uh, some of the some core philosophical conte- uh, uh, concepts and how they relate to the relationship between the indigo and, and the gray suns, some uh, stories that might be inspired by it, uh, and some elements of setting that one might be able to create. Though we know so little about the setting, who knows, it may already be there. Or something very close to it may already be there. But when talking about the indigo sun and the gray sun, I was reminded of uh, Plato's uh, Allegory of the Cave from, uh, the, from the Republic. So as a quick uh, review, uh, Plato was uh, a major philosopher, uh, defined a lot of the terms for uh, philosophy for uh, millennia from that point on, uh, and wrote distinctively in a form of dialogues. So rather than being a book that you read in a way that we normally think of nonfiction works or philosophical works, these read almost like little plays. They're just the world's most boring plays because there isn't actually, you know, action uh, or conflict. Though, or, or the conflict is philosophical conflict. It's it's people standing in a hypothetical space yelling at each other, um, uh, or you know, debating. It's what the, what they do. But so the debates themselves uh, expound on philosophies and distinctively, uh, Plato's character uh, representing an actual person, Socrates, uh, in these dialogues develops philosophical ideas not by stating them, but by asking questions of people. So a character in one of the dialogues may represent a commonly held philosophical belief, expe- uh, present that belief, and Socrates will ask questions to break down uh, the question or the topic uh, to shed more light on the subject. Uh, you said that Socrates is the character in this discussion? Yeah, so historically, Socrates was the uh, instructor of Plato. Uh-huh. So Plato, in some sense, is recounting the lessons of Socrates, though oh, I don't okay. believe there's much belief that these were actual events. These aren't like transcripts. These are reconstructed uh, arguments that are intended to communicate the same philosophies that Socrates spoke of and to represent the method that Socrates used when he taught. So it's okay. written by Plato, a student of Socrates, but it is still Plato's Republic. It is Plato's re- Republic, and one of the characters he uses in there is Socrates. Right, who is an actual person who was yeah. a, a, a teacher of Plato. Yeah. It's one of the complexities of having nonfiction work that you are in some sense nonfiction work that uses fictional tropes and uh, uh, like dialogue rather than uh, direct presentation. Is you get to allied concepts like who's a, what, what does a character mean as opposed to being a source. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and today I want to talk about a, a very selective uh, discussion of a, a couple of elements from Plato's Republic. Uh, it may be his most famous dialogue, um, though it's hard to say because there's several dialogues that are that are very famous and important to philosophy. Well, this is the one I remember. <laughs> and, and so what, what do you remember from it? Okay, not looking at our notes, what I remember is there is a cave and there is a fire in the cave. And I believe there were... Uh, I believe there were people in the cave casting shadows on the walls, but I don't remember exactly what those shadows were representing. Well, we will uh, definitely get into that. Uh, this is just a small part uh, of the Republic, though it's it's one of the most important parts. So kudos for remembering some of the most important parts. Ah. Oh, Overall, the book is intended to be an investigation of how to run a republic well. How to now, design. Okay, one real quick question. Because um, yeah. when we talk about republics, I keep, I think Romans, but they were Greek philosophers, weren't they? Yes, these are these are Greek philosophers. Uh, so this is, let me see if I can find, um, I don't have a date handy for me, but this this is early on. <laughs> okay. And so this is, in, in fact, yeah, so this is this is Greek philosophy. Uh, we think of the Ro Roman Republic, uh, but this is not using Republic in that sense of the word yet. Okay. Uh, this is, mo you can also call it the state, I think would be a, another fair representation, though the term Republic is so generally used uh, in relation to this book. So it's just known as the Republic. All right. Sounds good. But the subject matter is how do you understand a state and how do you design a state? Uh, and the best, uh, the, the, the method pursued in the book is to uh, proceed by analogy that a state is like a body. And so if we think of how the human bodies are organized and the proper conduct and hygiene for a body, then we will be able to define the rules for proper conduct and hygiene of a state. I don't know uh, which rules of the state they're using at conventions, but... <laughs> there's there's some really... Some of those republics have turned. <laughs> this, uh, on, on a minor side note, is, is a fun... Uh, a connection to some of the other works we've talked about in the Invisible Sun, uh, it, alchemists and later medieval uh, occultists will often use a concept of microcosm and macrocosm, that if you understand little things, they will reflect the big things, hmm. and that the big things will help us understand the little things. Uh, so uh, understanding the, the movement of the stars will help us understand how human bodies heal. Uh, and vice versa, understanding the processes of the human body will under, will help us understand the processes of the earth and the stars. So that there's a, a, belief, a strong belief and a connection bet between small things like a, a, an individual human uh, and big things like a state or the, uh, uh, the universe uh, as a whole. So this is an example of sort of microcosm, macrocosm thinking. Okay. That's just the frame, though. We're going to mm -hmm. fast forward. Uh, the Allegory of the Caves, I don't recall which book it was in, but something like book 8 of 12. So, you know, well into, uh, well into the book, Plato introduces an allegory that's become very important in philosophy. And I think it, it helps us think about the relationship between the indigo sun and uh, the gray sun. So let, you have to indulge me for a moment as I rebuild the allegory. So imagine that there is a cave and that there's people in this cave. They are bound so that they cannot move and can only look forward at a large wall. 
Behind these bound people is a fire. And there's people moving between the fire and the bound people who are moving things around in the cave, uh, not paying much attention to the bound people. But because the fire is behind the moving people, it casts shadows on the big wall that the bound people are facing. But since the people are since the people are bound facing this wall, they see nothing except for the wall and the shadows cast upon that wall. So to them, the entire world is made up of the movement of shadows on this wall. The use of the term shadows is not accidental here. I, uh, the notion of shadows as being a, a pale reflection, an unreal reflection of what's going on, uh, more or less starts here, as I, at least as far as I know. And so the use of, for example, the gray sun as being a shadow of the uh, indigo sun is almost directly lifting the language from the allegory of the cave. Mm -hmm. Now, how this becomes important to us and to philosophy is that for, Pla for, for Plato, a philosopher is a person who has escaped their bounds. So they had previously been staring at this wall of shadows, convinced that was the all, all of the world. They, they escape their, their, their binding and, and, and get out of the cave. So they suddenly see the world uh, and realize that there is a, re a, a realer, there's an actual world out there and that what they had seen before were just illusions and shadows and a very limited view of, of what was a, what was available to them. Does, does that sound familiar? Oh, it sounds very familiar. <laughs> yeah, it, it's useful to note a couple things. Like, uh, for example, stepping into the light after you've been bound in a cave for a long period of time is likely painful. And I believe that metaphor is intentional for Plato, that uh, it is uh, a painful experience to realize that what you believe to be the entirety of the world is just a small part of it and an, an, an illusion, almost an accident, that, and, and that there's a realer, more intense world outside. Even when you can finally see it, it's going to burn your eyes a little bit. Sounds like uh, what you go through when you become an adult. <laughs> uh, or or uh, move back into the indigo world. Yes. Or Indigo Sun. <laughs> yeah, I guess if we want to loop this back into... Invisible. Something important. Yeah. <laughs> something, something really important like a game. Yeah. Uh, also, the people who are still bound, looking uh, forward at the, at, the, at the wall of shadows, are unlikely to be pleased when someone else wanders up next to them and says, hey, that thing you think is the whole world, that's just a small part of it. There's something so much cooler outside. Uh, they're likely to respond in, uh, at best, uh, a lack of trust and at most anger. And this also suggests the position of the philosopher uh, in the world, Plato, I think, would, would, would argue uh, that uh, the philosopher is one, uh, the philosopher is a position in society that can be unsettling because he's challenging people's assumptions about mm. uh, the world and what is real. But that sounds like very much what Vizlay may be doing uh, if they return to uh, the gray sun. So one idea of tying this back into how to use the gray sun might be that you may represent Vizlay, but you know of another Vizlay who has remained trapped in the gray sun. So you have to you have to go back into the gray sun and convince this lost Vizlay that there is in fact a larger world out there and that the gray is not the entirety of the actuality. And admitting to that would be basically destroying the reality that you know. Right. Because people you thought of as loved ones are turn out to be just those shadow people 
not yeah. the magical Visley people. Yeah, that would be that would be rough. That could, there's some, some fun uh, role playing potential there. Mm-hmm. Okay, the once the philosopher has escaped the cave, she comes to see the world in its in its actuality, lowercase a actuality. Uh, she sees the real world, uh, and for that this is the hallmark of a philosopher to Plato. Uh, but again, it's like moving from the gray sun into the indigo sun for uh, for characters in, in the invisible sun. But there's a little more to the philosophy of Plato that may also be useful uh, in talking about the indigo sun and, and, and stories that take place there. Because outside the cave is the true world. And so this is an opportunity for Plato to talk about what truth really is. And famously, he introduces the notion of forms which here do not mean just things you enter text into uh, or what we use the word for today in most uses. Mm -hmm. Instead, forms for Plato are idealized uh, essences of ideas. So for everything that is in our world, both material and immaterial, he would argue there is a form in this true world of forms. So there are lots of dogs, but there is one dog the essence of dog, the true idealized form of dog. And there is a true chair, an essence, an idealized chair to which all other chairs are compared. And it's only because that exists, he would argue, can we say whether something is or is not a chair or talk about some particular chairs in our world as being more or less chair-like. And that the, the role of the philosopher then is to really examine these forms and not get caught up in what they see in our uh, grubby little world. So one thing I'm thinking is when you come back into Indigo, when you come back to the actuality, these forms could definitely be there and they could be things that are reflected into gray. So you could find that one true dog. Yes, and uh, that, that's one that's a platonic uh, interpretation of what indigo might be like. It is the realm in which the dog and the chair and the justice and, you know, con concepts even mm -hmm. exist in singular material form with which we can interact. Whereas in our world, we only interact with pale shadow reflections of those true essences. So folding chairs. <laughs> folding chairs or you know um you know is uh all sorts of avant-garde uh chairs do they actually how chair like are they uh can you have is a stool a chair and those sorts of debates uh, because we only see flawed representations of chairs but somewhere there is a chair in indigo that when you look at it you go that is all that is chair <laughs> anything more would make it unchair and anything less would make it unchair but I could use this and to, as a comparison point for everything in the gray that uh, is called a chair and use it as sort of the, the benchmark for all chairs. Oh, I, I'm probably going to send my, my players on a quest to find the true form of chair. <laughs> it's a trivial example, but you could also apply the same thing to the, the mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned dog, but also, like, like I said, concepts like justice. And you could think of what Plato's doing with the Republic is there is he's asking, what's the ideal form of the state? What would the state look like or what would political authority look like? 
in its purest form, in its essence, as opposed to looking around at the world as Aristotle would later and saying, let's learn about politics by collecting a bunch of constitutions. Plato's strategy is let's learn about political authority by contemplating the ideal essence of political authority, not by looking about how, at how it's manifested in our grubby, imperfect world of humans, mm-hmm. but how it ought to exist in the imagined world of forms that only philosophers really have access to, and even then only as an imaginative act. Yeah, and now we have things like A-B testing and polling. <laughs> so we're we're not looking for the true forms. No, no, we we have uh, we we are very well connected to our grubby little world now. We mm-hmm. can reflect and amplify the signals of our grubby world uh, better than ever before. Uh, so aside from forms, um, like how are you thinking this also applies to the invisible sun? Well, I, I mentioned you know, the, the two quickest. Uh, connections uh, are that uh, it seems the indigo sun is in some ways the realm of forms. And so the relationship between the indigo sun and the gray sun is very much like a, a philosopher escaping uh, the cave from the mm-hmm. allegory of the cave. But there there's other more game-like uh, aspects of this. And so one thing I've been thinking of doing for my uh, home campaign as I try to develop material before I actually know much about the world uh, is to create organizations that represent different philosophies. Uh, the, what I do know of the setting so far makes me think that uh, guilds like uh, aren't necessarily uh, are, are the sorts of organizations we often find in RPGs and uh, fantasy RPGs or any other type of RPGs aren't the best fit for competing organizations. You don't have like good alignment and, and eat versus evil alignment. Uh, so I'm trying to think of how might we have factions in a story uh, that happens in Indigo. And so one way I think is that different factions could represent different philosophies. So platonic philosophy of forms could be the basis of a, of a faction uh, within Indigo. And if there was a faction that believed firmly in something like the theory of forms, they would believe that it is their responsibility to identify and maintain the important forms in indigo because they will reflect in all of the other suns. Now, if they're, they're collecting and maintaining these forms, uh, what happens when they run up with people who are using the imperfect version of those forms? Is that something they would want to, you know, break them of or enlighten them about? I would think they would want to enlighten. I guess it depends on where these are being used. Um, if there are people who are actively changing the forms. So again, this kind of trivial example of the form of a chair. Mm, yes. Form of the chair. <laughs> they might want to find the essence of chair uh, or the essence of, of uh, dog. And so their goal is to discover the essence that's out there. And then once it's discovered to defend it and make everyone aware of what is the true essence of chair or dog. Uh, and they're, uh, they'd be opposed to efforts uh, among other factions, which we might talk about with other philosophies later, that suggest that essence doesn't exist until we create it. And so there is no true chair until we create a chair. And so it's the job of the Visle to constantly innovate and create new things that we'll call chair and chair two and whatever else we want to call them. And so we're constantly innovating rather than seeking to, d- to discover and, uh, and maintain pre-existing forms. 
And conveniently, this does not map into, oh, well, clearly the maintainers of forms are good and the people trying to invent new things are evil or vice versa. These are different philosophical traditions about the, about the commitments we have to reality. I think you could see the, uh, the guild of the form of chair doing something that maybe can construed as evil if they were to say, hey, we know what the form of chair is. So now uh, we're going to get rid of all other chairs and replace them with the true form of chair. So that your favorite pub down the street, they're going to have to get rid of all of their chairs and bring in these new chair, the, the true form of chair. Absolutely. And some of the uh, criticisms of Plato's Republic, for instance, is that the discussion of the ideal state contained in the Republic inspires or empowers people to lie to others and to lie to the, to, to the citizens of a republic about the nature of humans and about the nature of political authority. And so it, you know, it, part of this form of government um, is authoritarian. And it is you know, it's criticized for that authoritarianism. You could imagine the same thing with any particular form. If you are absolutely convinced that you have found perfection, then you have little tolerance for any sort of, of contrast. I wouldn't even say opposition, but even contrast to that perfection. So there is there does seem to be a natural authoritarian element to this, which is one of the themes that can be explored uh, in an organization that represents this platonic or even newer kind of neoplatonic philosophies mm-hmm. of uh, forms and reality. Yeah, that's a super interesting idea. Yeah, I think what, I've been inspired by going through this discussion and, and preparing for this discussion to maybe have some more segments about inspirations that come from other philosophical traditions about what <laughs> reality is. And it sounds really boring to discuss epistemology and ontology and other things that you, you don't usually listen to game podcasts to talk about. But they could all represent different factions in, in, in Invisible Sun. One of the things I find intriguing about the setting is it allows us to play with some of these ideas. And if really we are uh, going to have characters that are playing at the kind of foundation of reality uh, with magic to reshape those realities, we get to engage questions of, of the ethics of manipulating reality and our philosophies of what those realities mean. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm looking forward to dropping the maintainers of form into Saturn for my campaign. <laughs> Maybe at some point this will, once we uh, can talk, you know, have produce actual content. One of the fun things about the podcast might be just releasing something. If there's anything like the MCG fan use policy in the future, might write up the maintainers of form. Uh, and other factions. That'd be a fun kind of giveaway. That would be pretty good. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Dr. Scott Robinson on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. Uh, and if you if you like what you hear, uh, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. We hear it helps people find our show. Uh, or else, tell a friend about the show, which is another great way to get the word out and get more people listening. 